Morning, church. Good morning, I'm Gary. Uh, special welcome to those of you who are new here. Um, it says 1 John, but we just had Ephesians chapter 2, so don't be confused by that. And I hope you've been encouraged this morning. How, how about all the good news we've been receiving over the last few weeks? So encouraging, isn't it? And it's so good to have that good news, especially as we come up to Christmas, because uh, our life is far from straightforward for many people. So it's always good to have our eyes lifted up to our God and what he can provide for us. And I hope today that as we come to the scripture, you'll experience the same. Let me pray once again, and uh, let's have a uh, let's then come to what God has to say to us this morning. Please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for all the good news that you give us. We thank you for the greatest news of all uh, with the coming of Jesus at Christmas. And we do pray, Father, that as we reflect on your scriptures today, uh, that you give us even greater hearts uh, for you and greater hearts for the people around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you might be surprised by this, uh, but I actually know what it's like to be a foreigner. So uh, I was born in Australia, you can tell by the rather thick accent, but my parents were migrants, migrants from Malaysia. And our family has never regretted the decision to come to Australia, especially when Australia is winning in the cricket. It's great to be Australian, fantastic to be here, love living in Australia. But can I just say, as a child of a migrant family, growing up in Australia was hard at times. Uh, we look different. We look different. Uh, there were far fewer Chinese uh, back in those days, even in Eastwood. And the food that we ate was different as well. I used to go to school and people would have a look at my food and try to steal it, things like that, you know. <laughs> Fried rice for lunch, it was great. Uh, we went to Chinatown every week. Can you believe that? We went to Chinatown every week. That's where the Chinese community gathered. And we celebrated Chinese New Year and we gave each other red packets. But the strongest sense of feeling different actually came from the people around us. Not only in the schoolyard, but from just random people and what they'd say to you. Sometimes it was funny. I remember walking along uh, out on Anzac Parade one day at our University of New South Wales and a car drove past and someone wound down their window and said, hey, Bruce Lee, show us your Kung Fu. So that was kind of... <laughs> he wouldn't want to see it, right? Uh, but sometimes it's hard. I, I mean, especially uh, when One Nation came to fruition and Pauline Hanson was on the news, people would just come up to people like me, my sister, in public and say things to us. Uh, you know, go home to where you belong. Uh, one guy came up to me at a bus stop and said, you people should learn about birth control. <laughs> really? I mean, really? So being a foreigner, being an outsider can be difficult, can be difficult. But being a foreigner, an outsider is even worse for the Ephesians in our Bible passage. Because for them, it wasn't just a matter of acceptance, it was a matter of life and death. And that's why what we're looking at from the Bible this morning is so wonderful and life-changing, not only for people like the Ephesians, but for us here as well. And especially as we look forward to the uh, Christmas and the coming of Jesus and think about the difference that Jesus makes. And even though uh, we just had the second half of Ephesians read to us, we need to look at the first half to make sense of the second. So please indulge me and come with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, uh, where our author Paul starts by saying, you were dead. You were dead. Verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, who is Paul writing to? What is he talking about? Uh, the author is the Apostle Paul, the great, uh, first great missionary to non-Jewish people, uh, and he's writing to the Christians in Ephesus, uh, which you'll find in Turkey. 
And when he says to these Christians in Ephesus, you were dead, he's not saying you were dead in terms of them, you know, kind of not being alive, not breathing, not moving type of dead. Pretty hard to read a letter when you're in that type of situation. But rather, he's using the word dead in the same ways where you might use the phrase, you are dead to me. I hope you don't use that phrase, but you know the phrase, you are dead to me. It's got that sense of being out of relationship with someone. It's, it's about having a, a fractured relationship, being cut off, being separated. You are dead to me. You, you know what I mean there? And that's what, what, that's what Paul is saying to the Ephesians when it comes to their relationship with God. They were dead before God. Why? Because of their transgressions and sins. And that's because that's what sin does. Sin ruins relationships, uh, not only with each other, but also with God. Because what is sin? I mean, sin's not just doing something wrong, something bad, something criminal, something immoral. Uh, it's much more than that. And it's basically saying, sin is saying yes to yourself and no to God. Sin is saying yes to yourself, no to God. It's saying to God, I'm more important. I know better. I'd be better off if I was God. That's what sin is. And given who God is, the creator of all things, and given what God is like, he must always do what is right. You can see how sin damages relationships. Our relationship with God it puts us on the wrong side of God and the wrong side of his judgment, which Paul alludes to if you have a look at verse 4. And, and, and this situation of broken relationship isn't only true for the Ephesians. Paul isn't saying, look at you guys, look how bad you are. No. In verse 3, Paul basically says, we're all in the same boat. All of us also lived among them at one time. Each of us, in our own way, have sinned against God. And if we're going to be honest, we know that's true, don't we? I mean, we've all been selfish at times, putting ourselves first. We've all been loose with the truth when it's convenient for us. And all of us have made decisions as if God wasn't there. Each of us, in our own way, have sinned against God. And as a result, each of us, in our own way, are dead before God. And that raises the obvious question, well, what can we do about that? Well, we, we don't want to be in that situation. What can we do about it? How can we move from death to life? from no relationship to new relationship? How can a person restore their relationship with God? And throughout history, humanity's taken basically three broad approaches. Uh, firstly, there's the stick-your-head-in-the-sand approach. You know that one? There is no God, right? So I don't have to deal with him. Then secondly, there's the create God in my own image approach. That's the one where God agrees with everything you think or say. And when God agrees with everything you think or say, you don't need to be reconciled, right? Because you always agree. Then there's the third and most popular approach, which is the merit approach. Uh, that's the approach upon which all man-made religion is based on, where basically you seek to do things to gain merit with God. Uh, do good things, do moral things, do religious things. And you keep on building up this merit, this merit, and eventually you'll build up enough merit that you'll be right with God. People throughout history have tried all sorts of things to deal with this issue. But when you read the Bible, it makes it very clear that none of them work. Uh, you can't pretend that God isn't there. You can't create a God in your own image. God is the creator. You can't try to earn your own way back into his good books. Uh, it doesn't work. In fact, the Bible uh, makes it very clear that when it comes to restoring our relationship with God and moving from death to life, that 
In verse 9, it says it is not by works. It's not through the things that we do. The demerit approach doesn't work at all. Rather, as we, as we come to the scriptures, what we see that it's not about us. It's all about God. It's not about what the things that we do, but the things God has done for us. And you'll see that if you come back with me in your passage and have a look at verse 4. Because here the Apostle Paul says, But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, what has he done? He has made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. God has made us alive. He has given dead people life. How? Through Jesus And it's worth noting, isn't it, that God has done all this for us not because of anything we've done. We haven't done anything to deserve this. It all flows out of of the greatness of his love and the riches of his mercy. And the Bible has a very special word that kind of captures this great love and this rich mercy. And it's one of my favourite words in the world, and you'll see it in verse 5. How has God brought us from death to life? Verse 5, it is by grace. You have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved. This word grace captures that love and mercy because what does it mean? Grace means getting something for nothing. It means unmerited favour. When I first became a Christian, someone put it like this for me. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. And who doesn't like getting something for nothing? It's great, isn't it? I was at Coles the other day. I was buying heat beads, as you do leading up to Christmas. And there was a pricing error. And I, and I, I paid the price, but then I, I thought, wait a second, I look at the sign out there. So if they get the price wrong, you get it for free. So I went back and it was, it was 20 minutes of my life. I never got back again, but I got something for free. And that was worth it, right? Because who doesn't like getting something for free? And I'm a migrant kid. I can't walk past the bargain. Anyway, We all love getting stuff for free, but what's even better is getting something for free that you can't afford. I mean, just imagine for a moment getting someone giving you a house in Sydney. Imagine that. Uh, Four bedrooms, double garage, nice quiet street, no burnouts out the front, home theatre system, air conditioning, Western Sydney, it's got to be Western Sydney, hot tub with a bar fridge. How good would that be? Be fantastic, right? All for free. No mortgage, no rent, no strings attached. You're thinking about that? That's pretty good, isn't it? Oh, pretty good. I mean, for some people, that could change their life to get something like that for free. But here is the thing. What God has given us by grace through Jesus is even greater than that. It's even greater because while it's really, 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 really hard to own a house in Sydney, it's not impossible. What God offers us in Jesus is well beyond our reach. Because in Jesus, not only has he brought us from death to life, he's brought us from no relationship to new relations, from judgment to friendship. We couldn't do that ourselves. He's done all this through the death of his son, Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross and bears the consequences of our sins on himself in our place, bringing us forgiveness restoring us to God, making us God's children, giving us life. Jesus does it all. 
And what that means is that becoming a Christian and having a relationship with God isn't about being born into the right family. It's not about growing up in a Western country. It's not about being good or religious. Rather, it's about realising that you're actually dead and you need Jesus and giving your life to him and placing your trust in him. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's why being a Christian and becoming a Christian is the best thing in the world. It's also why Christian people want to tell others about Jesus because God gives dead people life for free through Jesus. And if you're not and if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, let me encourage you, especially in the lead up to Christmas, to at least consider it. To at least consider it. It changed my life. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. Dare I say, it will change yours as well. It's a deal of a lifetime. I love a deal. It's a deal of a lifetime. You don't want to miss out. But as good as it is, but wait, there's more. So now we get to the second half of Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, and, uh, and it's really great because it goes beyond... Just, just, that's the wrong word to say. It goes beyond what the Bible says in terms of God making us alive through Jesus to say even more, even more. And what the Bible goes on to say is that God makes outsiders insiders and foreigners citizens. Have a look at with me at verse 11 of our passage. So in verse 11, Paul says, Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. At the time Paul wrote this letter, in Jewish thinking there was only two types of people. There were Jews and everyone else, Jews and Gentiles. Jews and people like the Ephesians. And even though Paul has just told us that God has made dead people alive by grace through Jesus, what we need to realise is that Jesus has come as the Jewish saviour, the Jewish Messiah, the king that God had promised to the people of Israel. And that's why Paul here says that non-Jewish people like the Ephesians and some of us here were separated from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Because if you're cut off from the Jews and the Jewish Messiah, you're cut off from Jesus and the life that he offers. It is not good to be a Gentile at this point in history. But here's the thing. That's not the end of the story. Because if you go back to our passage, you'll also see that Paul says, remember. He says it twice. Remember and formally. And at that time, in other words, what Paul was saying was now no longer true because something has happened, and you'll see that in verse 13. And he says, but now, now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Paul says that Gentiles like the Ephesians who are once far away and separated and excluded and foreigners to God's promises, they have been brought near. They have been brought in. They have been included through the blood of Jesus. And they too can now know God's salvation and be citizens of his kingdom. And that's a really big deal, isn't it? Because we all know how hard it is to become a citizen 
Uh, my previous church, we had a Farsi-speaking congregation, an Iranian congregation, and uh, the leader of that church is a man who'd been in uh, Australia for years, uh, full-time work, studying at Bible college, terrific individual. So we went with him uh, to uh, apply for a visa to begin with uh, on the pathway to citizenship. And um, his uh, application was rejected. It was rejected by the judge who thought that he knew much more than anyone else did. And uh, he was rejected because they didn't believe he was a genuine Christian, even though he was at Bible college and the leader of my congregation, right? Uh, becoming a citizen in Australia can be very difficult. I think it's too difficult at times. But here's the thing. Becoming a citizen of God's kingdom is totally different. Because now through Jesus, the borders are open. There are no waiting lists, no limits, no need for visas, because Jesus has torn down the barriers that once kept people out. Because what Jesus has done on the cross by his blood is not only destroy that barrier that separated people from God, that made people dead before God, but he's also destroyed that barrier that divided the Jews from the Gentiles. Uh, setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, verse 15, removing the requirement to be a Jew, to be one of the people of God, <coughs> of God <coughs> and creating in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in the one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. In other words, what Jesus has done through his death on the cross is the ultimate equaliser. Because in creating one new humanity out of the two, he gives all who would trust him a brand new identity where all of us, no matter who we are or where we have come from, now come to God on the very same basis. And this new brand new identity is really important because uh, when you think about it, so many of the things that mark us out, mark out who we are, that give us our identity, actually drive us apart, don't they? Uh, I'll use myself as an example. So uh, I'm male, I'm middle-aged, just, still, married, right-handed, Australian, Chinese, and Anglican, a bishop. What does that mean? That means I'm not female, not young, single, divorced, left-handed, American, Caucasian, or Baptist. See how that works? I was Baptist. I'm not going to say. Uh, uh, so many things that mark out who we are actually end up dividing us from each other. But what Paul is saying here in our passage is that none of this matters anymore when it comes to being able to have a relationship with God. That no matter who we are or what we have done, as long as we trust Jesus, we are no longer foreigners, outsiders, anything like that. But we are now citizens with the ultimate identity, child of God. Paul puts it another way in Galatians chapter 3. He says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. While Paul isn't saying that these distinctions no longer exist, I'm still ethnic Chinese, I still like eating chicken feet, I still take my shoes off at the door, I mean, you know, that doesn't change. What he is saying, though, is that none of these distinctions matter. 
when it comes to becoming a citizen of God's kingdom. Because Jesus is the one who has made us alive by grace. And as a result, all of us now come to God on the very same basis. And this is great news, isn't it? Isn't this good news? Uh, it's good news for me. Uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but you might be surprised by this. Um, I'm not always the person I think I should be. I'm not always consistent. I don't always put God first. I am far from perfect, despite being a Christian. So what Paul is saying here in this passage is really good news. Because what he's saying is that because of Jesus, my relationship with God, my forgiveness, my future, my citizenship and belonging, despite the ups and downs that all of us face, none of that relies on me and my performance. It relies on Jesus and what he has done for us. Isn't that good news? It's good news. And even better is that Jesus does all of this for us for free. It's wonderful. But it's not only is it good news for me and for you, but it's also good news for the people around us, isn't it? It's great news. And I know that here at MBM, uh, a lot of the people uh, here come from all sorts of suburbs, but let's just spend a moment to reflect on the people immediately around us in Rudy Hill. I mean, who are they? So the 2021 census figures finally came out, and we're told there are 16,000 people who live in this suburb. Uh, 75% of them have at least one parent who was born overseas. The top three languages after English are Tagalog and Filipino. What's the difference between the two? Someone can explain to me later. Followed by, anyone who has a guess of the third language here? It's not Chinese. What do they speak in Pakistan? Urdu. Urdu is number three. Of those 15 and over, 49% aren't married. 74% don't have a degree. 7% are unemployed, 17% live in single-parent families, 12% say they have no religion. And while that's all very interesting, I hope you've been interested, I was very interested, and worth taking note of, what does that mean uh, for us here at Reedy Hill? Uh, what our passage tells us is that none of that matters. None of it matters when it comes to people knowing Jesus, right? It's interesting, but none of it matters. That single, married, divorced, de facto, Aussie, migrant, working-class professional, all are welcome. That's what our passage tells us. All are welcome because the barriers are gone and there's nothing stopping anyone from coming to Jesus and knowing the life and the belonging that only he can offer. Isn't that good news? It's great news. And what does that mean for us as a church? I think it means at least two things. Firstly, it means asking ourselves as a church, have we erected any artificial barriers that make it more difficult for people to come to know Jesus? Is there anything that we do that make people feel like outsiders? Uh, do we provide adequate access for the disabled? Uh, do we do things at church in a way which makes sense to people who aren't regulars? Do we explain people's? Do we welcome well? Uh, these are the type of questions that we need to keep on asking ourselves because we don't want to exclude people. We want people to feel welcome. Why? Because those people need Jesus in exactly the same way that we do. They don't need to know Jesus and the life that he offers. And that leads to the second thing this means for us as a church. Given that we have received the best news in the world, that dead people can have life through Jesus for free, then we need to keep on asking ourselves, how can we be sharing that with others? That conversation with the neighbour or the workmate about Christmas, 
whatever it may be, the family member. Uh, we need to keep on asking ourselves, how can we be helping people take steps towards the Lord Jesus Christ? So that they, like us, may know that they can belong in a way that they might not have thought possible and find acceptance and community and love and inclusion, even as outsiders and foreigners here in Australia. Finding this in the one new humanity where the labels that divide have been done away by Jesus once and for all. I mean, that's what we're offering the people around us. Uh, as we invite them to church and tell them about Jesus. And that's what we're expressing, by the way, every time that we meet. I mean, who's this new humanity? That new humanity is us. And frankly, well, we may not express it perfectly, but it is who we are now. We as Christians are one new humanity, made alive by Jesus through his death on the cross, created through grace, where the labels that divide no longer matter, because we all now come to God on the very same basis. That's who we are. And that's why the message about Jesus isn't only the best news in the world for a migrant kid like me, but the best news in the world for all those around us. Please join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has brought us from death to life through his death on the cross. And we thank you that it's the ultimate equaliser, that we all now come to you on the same basis. And we pray, Father, that you might give us hearts of thankfulness for that good news and hearts of generosity in bringing that good news to the people around us. We do pray, especially as Christmas comes this week, that many who are yet to know you uh, would uh, come to hear the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.